Hello and welcome to the Downtown United Soccer Club podcast. Here we will be speaking periodically with members of our community in an effort to bring everyone together, share important information, and learn about something new along the way. This episode is with one of our own Dusk staff members, Kyle Hagenberger. We hope you enjoy. Hello, my name is Josh Krakowski, and I am the Events and Marketing Coordinator for Downtown United Soccer Club. And today we have Kyle Hagenberger, who is the College Placement and Support Officer at Dusk. And so he's going to talk to us a little bit about the current situation going on with NCAA um, and for, for college athletes, specifically soccer players, looking to take their next steps or planning or already playing in college. So first and foremost, Kyle, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at Dusk, um, everything pre-COVID, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Sure. Great. Thanks, Josh. Um, so I, my, my role at Dusk is uh, to, to provide college placement and support information for players and families as they try to navigate the college process. Uh, historically, it's a position I've had at a few clubs in California. I've been around soccer coaching um, at the youth level and, and college level for, for a while. I'm also currently the head men's coach at the College of Mount St. Vincent in the Bronx. So um, spent a lot of time dealing with the college game and, and working with our players as they try to, to navigate that process. That's great. And so that's pre-COVID. And um, now, obviously, this podcast will be about what's going on during COVID. So I guess let's let's set the stage a little bit regarding um, what's going on. So obviously, a global pandemic. And subsequently, we have tons of things around the world closed, whether it's programs, soccer-specific programs, or businesses in general. That's That's an obvious situation right now. So to focus on those specific programs, um, we have most, you know, a lot of programs from D1 all the way to D3, um, where they've just decided to suspend fall programs. And I mean, my first question is, is does that, I mean, that seems like the right call when we're talking about the college game, but would you, do you think that's the case? It really feels like it. I know the pandemic and the information we're getting varies tremendously state to state in terms of how the the virus is being contained or not being contained. But uh, things we do know about college specifically, as outside of athletics, it's a place where a lot of people from a lot of different areas come together. So that in and of itself creates a bit of a problem. And then if we're talking about athletics, schools travel to play each other. So there's a whole bunch of different uh, variables and, and unknowns in that kind of environment that could cause problems um, in containing the virus right now, uh, could have major financial impacts on colleges. And I think, I, th- I think, although not every school is closed, and my school currently is still slated to play, and there are very specific reasons for why schools are making those choices right now also. The ones that have decided not to play, their reasoning is very sound. And I think it, although it's really difficult as a player or a coach to look at that and feel comfortable, it, it does feel like the people making those decisions are thinking about health and safety first. And the NCAA is trying to do things to support those decisions so that athletes have an opportunity to get an extra year or to um, maybe play in the spring. Um, It's really difficult to navigate, but for the schools that have made official decisions that they're not going to play fall sports, at least there's a place from which to look at what are they going to do next. 
And, and that's helpful, I think, for a lot of athletes and coaches. And we'll, we'll definitely get into that, especially as uh, at the end of this podcast, we'll ask for your advice and guidance, um, basically for our community. But to, to focus on, you know, the complexities of this situation, you have to, rem- we all have to remember that NCAA sports is, is a incredibly large, it's a large organization and it spans the entire country. Every, pretty much every community and county is, is touched by this, this collection, this organization. And it's different for each division. So you have division one schools that are, and, and we're going to speak generally when we're talking about sports, you have American football being something that's a huge revenue driver. And this will be treated differently than other sports. And these policies that schools put in place are not going to be centrally governed by the NCAA at this time. There are general recommendations, and we'll kind of, in a couple of minutes, get to what, what's been stated by NCAA. But at this time, you have schools, Division One schools, making their own judgment calls. Um, and this is dependent on the revenue of those sports and dependent on uh, other factors. And so, you know, how many players are on each team and so on and so forth, because no sport is equal in, in the details. So you've got 16 Division One uh, schools right now saying that they're not going to participate this fall, which, which seems like tactical decisions. Some of those um, being Ivy League institutions, the entire Ivy League will not be competing in the fall. The Patriot League, another, uh, another popular Division One soccer league. Um, so these leagues are making these decisions based off the fact that they need to keep their, their kids safe. And, it, you know, Division One is a lot of interstate travel. It's a lot of, there's just too many variables to account for at this time, given the status of, of America. Um, D2, which some people might not know, and Kyle, please interrupt me because you're far more well-versed um, than I am. But D2 is also, what people don't know is that it's also, you travel quite a bit more in-state, if I'm not mistaken, but it is, um, it's, it, it has many, many similarities to D, D1 in that sense. Um, and I, I'd assume that with 30 schools closed for the fall, they're taking an aggressive approach. Um, and, and last thing I'll put as far as statistics, so is D3, you have 42 institutions saying they're not going to play. Now you, a coach of a D3 institution, you, as of right now, you're slated to play. Um, but clearly, uh, D3 is probably going to be the most impacted. Would you say that's correct, Kyle, right now, going into the poll? I would. I think the, although it's still a little bit uncertain. So one of the, the another way to look at the statistics you just brought up are the conferences that are either moving forward or have delayed their starts. To, a lot of those Division One conferences are big football conferences. So there is like a big difference, not that Ivy League football is not important, but it's a lot different than SEC football. And it's really difficult for schools that have uh, a significant financial interest in having football to tell their other athletes that they're not going to come back. So it makes some sense why there's less Division One schools that are closing. And I think for Division Three football revenue is significantly less. So there's less of an incentive. Um, it's easier for Division three athletes also in, in a lot of ways to, to take a year gap because there's less, there, there's no athletic scholarships that could be jeopardized in any way. So if they're missing the year, it, it, there isn't any kind of indication that it could affect them financially. Whereas for other divisions, there's possibilities of that. You're correct about Division Two. Most Division Two programs in most uh, states are 
pretty much centralized to a state or very little travel in like a D3. Uh, and the first conference to shut down was the CCAA conference in California that is almost entirely division, or it's, it's all division two and almost entirely um, CSU schools, which had made the first decision that all of those schools would be remote in the fall. So uh, I think some of it is dependent also on school closures and, and the amount of schools that are opting out of con like conference play. Absolutely. And, and you bring up a really interesting in piece of information because in division one, you do have institutions restricting play to only conference, for instance, or trying to restrict a little bit of movement of those players and where they're traveling, but you know, not fully shutting down operations. So there's a lot of middle ground being taken by people, especially those like Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Those are revenue driving, um, you know, programs in this fall that they're going to try to keep alive. So, um, I mean, SEC is a totally different story, obviously, being a huge revenue driver there. But uh, there's one thing I didn't want to talk about, which we don't have to go too far into because I actually have don't have the, the vocabulary to 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 elaborate on this topic, but D2 schools see a lot of international uh, like students. I know in the soccer space, at least, they see a lot of international players come from abroad. And I, I'd be interested to see the impact right now that, that everyone's having. Obviously, it's complicated. That's the only way to go about it, is that people coming into America, those obviously tra trying to travel out, which is, is very challenging right now. Those are, those are topics that schools are whether they like it or not, are going to have to deal with, especially students, you know, Division One players as well, who've come from abroad, who are trying to play soccer this fall. Um, there are going to be some some challenges there. I don't know if you know any information about that, but that is something for an eager listener to look into. Um, yeah, well, I think at every, Division One and Division Two specifically, who can offer athletic scholarships, tend to have a significantly higher number of international athletes on those teams, and the schools have to consider not just their own restrictions, the NCAA guidance, but the state guidance of the state that they're in, the federal guidance regarding travel and restricted travel from certain countries. So I know that there's some division one programs that are having players quarantining right now so that they could potentially start playing and training on August 10th, which is the first date where they'd be allowed to. The same is true for division two. It's also, also entirely possible that after August 10th that those conferences or schools decide that playing is unsafe. So now you have, international students that have traveled across the parts of the world to get to campus and then it's possible that they might just be stuck in an environment where they're learning online where they could actually be at home so there's there's lots of things at stake here and it's really difficult i think for every institution to manage it like there's no right way to do it nobody's ever gone through this uh, before so the problems that we're facing are very very challenging and the Absolutely. lessons that we learn, hopefully we will never have to employ again, but you know, you have to, you have to try and try and see what happens. And, and unfortunately um, for some schools that are moving forward there, they have taken significant risk to do so regarding player travel and quarantining and financial issues that might come up for those families or those players. Um, it's difficult to navigate for sure. It is a, a huge test on the organizational front of nearly every organization in the world, uh, whether it's a professional organization, uh, educational institution, a private business. Everyone is, is trying to manage, uh, hopefully in the safest manner, 
uh, for the constituents of their organization. And there is no template answer. And especially as this is a geographic issue um, where some things are more acute in other areas. So it, there's no simple fix for this. And I think um, that's really the, the full credit answer there. So I wanna ask you quickly before we move into a little bit more discussion about what the NCAA has issued as far as statements go in the last week. Um, NAIA and uh, junior colleges, I believe that these institutions are moving their seasons or having some things put on hold. There are a little bit less of financial barriers for these institutions. Um, they're not governed by the NCAA for those who don't know. Uh, and so I'm just wondering, you know, do you know any more information on, on those institutions specifically, especially as maybe those are institutions that players are looking to play at uh, in the future? Well, I do know that a lot of junior college conferences have moved their seasons to the to the spring. Um, junior college and the NAIA tend to allow their schools a tremendous amount more leeway regarding their decisions and how they treat student athletes and, and govern their athletics. Um, I don't know that the NAIA, and, and this is because I, have, I haven't read any recent updates, I don't know if they've pushed everything to the spring, but I know that the National Junior College Athletic Association has, is, is pushing conference play to spring and then trying to look at how they might have um, any kind of national competition or a ranking system regarding that. But um, there's, there's lots of movement and, and there's discussion really even in the NCAA about flexibility. There was a, they put something out on uh, Monday of this week that would change how you allocate the amount of days, uh, how, how your playing season operates in terms of days, which would allow flexibility for schools to shift from the fall to the spring whether or not that, like what that will look like is still completely uncertain. So, so there's even still, even though a lot of seasons are being moved to the spring, there's still a lot of logistical hurdles to overcome, facilities being one. Now we're talking about multiple sports happening at the same time, all of your sports potentially happening at the same time. Um, so schools with limited facilities would run into some serious problems. Right, Mallory, Mallory and operations would, would have serious empathy for, for, for yeah. people who have to move around practices and, and find space, uh, maybe even off campus. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what that looked like. So yeah, very complicated. So uh, it is worth noting as we kind of cap this all together that the NCAA has recently updated its, its uh, you know, guidelines for schools that are intending to play this fall. And it includes universal masking on the sidelines, daily coronavirus symptom checks, which makes complete sense, um, and social distancing on and off the field more simple things that we all should be doing uh, as individuals. So it's good to see that an organization is subscribing to those recommendations. Um, but the problem is that NCAA has stated this, that coronavirus is moving in the wrong direction uh, to, to have NCAA encourage fall sports. And I think that's the reality is that we all need to take this virus very seriously in, in the United States. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you more directly about College of Mount St. Vincent is you know, what are you doing as a, as a coach? Um, how are things going with your program? I'm just giving us a, a scoop on, on how things are really. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult. And I think it's difficult on everyone. The, the things that we're finding as, as, every, as the NCAA continues to release guidelines, as our conference continues to try to make decisions, and as schools within our conference make decisions about what they're going to do, the difficult thing that, that 
we've had to really try to overcome is how do we communicate effectively with our players because everything ends with some sort of uncertainty. There's not a whole lot of, we know this is going to happen so you can plan around it. And what that set up for us is trying to create plan A, contingency plan B, and then contingency for contingency plan B that is plan C in terms of how we're going to approach even just summer training what the season could look like and, and how we would go about working with our players, given the guidelines, trying to help our players manage their travel arrangements for arriving to campus when the date is unclear. Um, navigating all of that in the context of the school trying to figure out how to make sure that the training room gets sanitized effectively between every training and how students are going to interact on campus, how, where they're going to eat food, like all of those things are real complicated issues for Mount St. Vincent, which is a small school. So can only imagine what it might be like for a school like St. John's that has significantly greater student population and, and very dense environment for students to be in. It's unclear still how the players that would need to quarantine when they come out what that's going to look like. Are they all going to be in the same dorm for quarantine? Are they going to be in their own dorms in different parts of campus? How that's going to be monitored? And, and every question I get, I have some ideas based on what we know, but there isn't anything definite yet. And that is really difficult, I think, for players. So Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up a great point. Every school, depending on the enrollment in the school, the location, the 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 architectural landscape of the school. I mean, it really depends on uh, how things will be addressed. And so New York institution, depending on the amount of real estate they have, will, I mean, NYU is going to have trouble because they live in the city. And so how do you disperse activity? Um, so it's gonna be very interesting, all of it. And I think this transitions us well into, you know, where does this leave the dust community? And the first question I have for you is, what is your advice for players starting their college experience in the fall? People who have committed to a school, they're on their way, you know, as of February, they were maybe they were ready to go. And obviously we've, we've all been, our lives have all altered since then. So um, what's, do you have any general advice for those athletes? It sounds simplistic, but the best advice I feel like I could give athletes that are heading off to college is to just keep a positive mindset and attitude because there's so many things out of their control that there are people working really hard to try to make sure that the opportunity and experience that they, the student athletes were hoping to have, that they will have at some point. So if you're not gonna play in the fall or if it's still unclear what your college's situation might be like, that's frustrating but it's frustrating for everybody. And so the more that players can think about, this is, this is a universal issue. It's not about me. What, what can I do to stay engaged with my program, with my teammates, with my club that I'm leaving? What can I do to keep positive and be, be part of a solution that when it starts to come about? And what can I do to make sure I'm ready for when that opportunity does present itself? Some players going on might play a handful of games. Some players won't be able to go and play because their schools have already closed. And some players might get something similar to a regular, a, a regular air quotes, regular season. Um, but because we don't know any of it, the one thing that players can control is their response to whatever that they're experiencing. 
So being positive and staying proactive and staying engaged and connected are the, are the only things that our players right now can guarantee that they can do. And, and that's going to help them get through this. I agree. Uh, mentality, you know, positive outlook, really important. For, for those students who might lose their season uh, this fall, would you feel comfortable saying that, that the NCAA or, or their, you know, the organization governing their, their competition will grant them with, you know, another season of eligibility? Is that something that we can kind of feel safe about at this time? Yeah. Yes, definitely. I know for Division Three specifically, the NCAA did say that, that if your team isn't playing, you will get an extra year of eligibility, even if your school is open. If your team is playing, but they play less than 10, ga 10 games or less, you will still get an additional year of eligibility. So you have to have something similar to a, a full season for that to even be questioned in Division Three, In Division One, with athletic scholarships and a lot more at stake, I, I, everything points in that same direction. The NCAA is going to make some decisions on Friday about fall championships. If they cancel them, I find it really hard to believe that they wouldn't give another year of eligibility for, for every student athlete uh, that's going to be faced with without an opportunity to compete at the national level. Uh, I know, I feel pretty confident that at the end of Friday, they'll be canceled for Division Three. It's harder for Division One, but as more conferences opt out of playing, it's harder to have a true national landscape for this. So I, I do think that's something, until it's certain, of course, it's, it's not a reality, but it's something I think that players should feel comfortable that that will happen for them. And I think it, it kind of highlights your advice of, you know, it's 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 not it's not necessarily humility, but it, it's having comfort with everyone else around you as we all are embarking on this great challenge and uncertainty in any sense of of you know the world. Humans as as a collection are all struggling. So this, this idea of unity, staying connected with your peers, your teammates, former clubs, uh, your family. I mean the people you love. It it will help you get through this time. And there's comfort in knowing that this is just an, a historical occurrence that you're going to, to live through and your, your, your soccer career will continue. And you can, you know, just have that patience, that maturity that, that, that's happening for all of us at any age level, it's, it's gonna help us get through this. So um, there's, there's beauty and constraint. And I think that just players right now, as they've spent so much time indoors doing tactical training in their living rooms or any space they can find, um, they're going to have an appreciation for constraint as well. It'll make you a better player. It'll make you a better person, uh, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. So the next question I have is for the players looking to continue their college process this year, how can they stay on track in such an unconventional playing environment? The number one thing that they can do, well, I, uh, there's two number one things. One of them is make sure they take care of their own soccer stuff. So the, the dusk, uh, curriculum and programming models and things that are being pushed out for the, their engagement and, and training are things that the players that want to play in college need to be engaged with. And it's really critical that that's constant, that the connection with the game, connection with tactical and technical development, physical development is an ongoing everyday occurrence for any athlete wanting to play college. That was true pre-COVID. It's still true during this pandemic as we try to navigate this phase of it. 
from a logistical standpoint, there's plenty of research to do. And I think if, if there are things shifting in this environment, one of them is looking at what, what it is you want from a college experience in this context and, and really looking at schools that provide things that are valuable outside of playing. Would you want to be at that school if, if they did shut the season down but had you on campus? Are you connecting with the coaches and, and players that you know at that school if you do know some? Are you, are you connecting with them at a human level? Because it's difficult for them too. And recognizing that a coach is faced with a canceled season, that's what that coach does. And then that's gone too. And so having some ability to continue to talk about yourself as a player and how you might want to be a part of their program and how you could contribute to its development, combining that with recognizing like things are tough, things are tough for you too. And, and what are you doing for your players to help them get through it? This is what I'm experiencing. And those things are valuable to coaches. Absolutely. And that transitions us straight to our, our next question, which is how can players keep in contact with coaches who've shown interest in them? And this might not be, by the way, a different answer from uh, pre-COVID. This could be the exact same answer. So I'm just curious. I want people to, to listeners to know how they can stay in contact because th this disconnect feels very real, but that actually might have been the same. This might be the same answer as it was prior to, to coronavirus. Yeah, a lot of it's the same. It, Updating coaches on what's happening with you, I think, is, is relevant. That's the same thing I would have said in the fall before COVID. The difference now is the things that you're updating on are completely different contextually. So you might be updating about the fact that small group training started for your team or you've been working on your technical development at home because you're not allowed outside. And, and I think for players, it's really important, our players in New York City specifically, if you're looking at schools outside of New York City, which most of our players are, at least looking at a few schools outside of the, the greater New York City area, is it's important to remind the coaches and have a dialogue about the differences regarding what their experience is like and what our players' experience is like. There are some schools in California that are hoping to go to tournaments and watch players play in a month. And, and for ours, that's not gonna be true. So reminding coaches that uh, our timeline is different and there's a way to do that that is different than saying our timeline is different than it is in California. You can tell coaches that we're finally back on the field. It looks like we might be able to train and, and get some 11 v 11 in a month or whatever it is. That's a really good way to, to communicate with coaches and stay connected. Would you say that that, that level of communication and detail, you know, detailed style of communication will help players stand out, especially as, um, players are gonna, from around the country are going to be trying to communicate to coaches. Yeah, I think especially now when there's so many email, like that's the only access to college coaches right now is email, unless you've already established a relationship and you're, you're in a position where they do want to talk to you on Zoom or on the phone. There has to be something a little bit more unique and personal in the email. There's, there's a generic way to introduce yourself to coaches that I prescribe out to our players often that doesn't include a little bit of nuance but once you get past that first email and you start to talk a little bit more about who you are as a person those details about what your experience is like as a player in New York City right now comparing that to what it might be like in Pittsburgh or New Jersey or California is a valuable entryway for that coach to get to know you a little bit more 
And I think right now they're looking for those relationships because those are the players that are sticking with it. Those are the players that are helping their teammates get through this pandemic. Those are the players that make a, a, a team into a program and a program into something that is transferable to the school. Right. So this is a bit of a, a thought experiment question, but for, for, for the players who are young, you know, four or more years away from college, uh, do you see that this virus is going to impact the way players are now scouted, identified going forward? Um, is our protocols going to change? I mean, obviously for the next couple of months, unforeseen things will happen, but I mean, like down the line, a year, two years, do you think the NCAA and other organizations are going to change the way that they want players to be identified because of potential risk in like a global pandemic? I do think there's no doubt that it's going to change the recruitment process long term, but what that actually looks like might be a little less noticeable to the average player, average family. So an example, video's always been important for college coaches but it's never been a deciding factor, at least to any coach that I've talked to. I think that coaches now are having to, to use that as a deciding factor and it's enhancing their ability to analyze video, which then opens up a lot of doors for players if they can get video in front of coaches. And by video, at this point, I'm talking about entire game footage that can be analyzed and, and really thought through. It's possible that coaches might use that and travel less. Um, it's also entirely possible that personal relationships and connection might be more valuable for even the bigger programs at the initial stages of recruiting in ways that they may, they weren't quite so much before. I mean, they're always important, but I think that stuff used to come a little later. You had to prove yourself as a player before you got to the stage where a coach was really digging into your personality and are you a really good fit for our program? I think that might start happening sooner are you a really good fit? Now let's see if you're a really good player. Uh, it, it's hard to say in, I think next year, the year after, even if we're back on the field playing 11 v 11 at this point in 2021, it, it's really hard to say that these things will go away. And I, I don't see them disappearing. I, I do see that there will be changes. And I, I also think that there will probably be NCAA guidelines around certain types of travel or events uh, certain ways that coaches can interact with players to to provide access that might not be limited, like Zoom interactions and certain things are limited for certain levels of coaching, Division One and Division Two. That might change, and it might be opened up a little in order to limit the amount of travel and interaction in the short term. We'll just have to see. I also think it's possible that tournaments might adjust their approach to recruiting as well, or to being recruiting platforms as well and, and do things like provide live streaming opportunities, ways for coaches to access games without having to fly and travel, ways to make it a little bit less intense. And that could also help get a, a really good sense of who the best players are in the country because coaches can then access significantly greater player pool. While, while technology has always been, I mean, as, as someone born in 1996, been a part of my life for a very long time uh but i think it's it's now clear that technology is going to be very important in any sector in any part of life i mean people the access to technology will create a new access to connectivity in a new in a field um as we all work remote so that there is no reason why the grassroots soccer space is not going to have this new resurgence 
of technology, whether it's coaches filming sessions, um, because sessions are hard to come by in different parts of the country, or whether it's uh, streaming tournaments uh, live. So, so coaches can scout from different states, um, which will be very interesting technological advancements uh, that I don't think we've ever really seen in the soccer space. So it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of years to embark on. There's no question about that. And it could definitely level the playing field, especially in women's soccer, where there's four or five teams pretty dominant. One of the biggest restrictions to recruiting is budget. And if you don't have to get plane tickets to watch the top players play, then suddenly it's a very different avenue and competition to try to access those players. I also think, and I want to make, make sure this is set to our community and, and to our coaches as well. I think the online individualized component to training is something that will stick around too. And I think that over time, that can be a nice supplemental feature to our traditional training model and will make our players better players in the long run because they'll understand how to train on their own in isolated environments and, and have that be something that's monitored as well in addition to whatever they're doing on the field with their team and their coach in person. Well, while I'm not a coach myself, I happen to subscribe to that from personal experience. I didn't do enough individual training as a player. And I think that I suffered technically from that. Uh, desk players are very technical. You know, I've, I've been around long enough to see a really impressive desk technical ability across any gender, any age level. It doesn't matter. Desk players are technical. Um, their IQ is very high typically. And I think that you make a great point saying individual training, it doesn't need to go away. You don't have to stop. I mean, it's great to play in person together. That's what we love. But individual training is important, and we've seen that been highlighted the last four months. And I think that survival of that mentality, which I know Dusk will continue to uh, to uh, positively, you know, embark on, will be, you know, uh, it'll be successful for it'll be a, a good thing for all players. So um, this leads us to one of our last notes for today, which is: uh, Is there anything you'd like to leave the Dusk community with? That could have just been it, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I do want to give you another opportunity directly. Yeah, I, I think well, that is a really important piece. And I do think the Dust community has done a really good job of banding together and being as connected as possible, given the physical distance that we're all experiencing. I think if, if there's anything I'd like to see continue is, is that like the heart of the Dust community continue to, to beat steadily in what it is we're doing all the time. And any way that there is to connect with your teammates and your coaches and for the coaches to connect with each other is invaluable right now. So the positivity, that, that mentality piece, it's not just for players, it's for our entire community, coaches, staff, everybody. So the more we can do that, the more we can support each other, the better off we'll be as a club. I completely agree. Kyle, thank you so much for, for joining me today. And uh, for anyone who wants to get in contact with you, uh, how, can, how can they do that? Um, is there any way that you prefer uh, parents, players to, to reach out? Uh, there's plenty of methods to, to reach me that anyone is acceptable. My email is on the Dusk site. Um, if you go to the staff page and then there's the college corner that has a way to access me, uh, it's just kyle.hagenberger at dusk.net. So that's an easy one. My cell phone's on my uh, sign off. So any, any way you want to contact me is welcome. Email's usually the best first avenue. And, and I would hope that families would reach out. My, my job literally is to connect with families and help them through the process. So 
I, I need and want to continue doing that with everybody in our community. So hopefully they will. Um, and Josh, I just want to say thanks for having me. This has been tremendous. So I appreciate the time. Likewise, it's been great. You heard Kyle, if you're interested, if you have any hesitation, if you're wondering about what's going on, um, just reach out to Kyle. If you have more questions from this, from this podcast, just give him, give him a shout. So thank you again, Kyle. This was an absolute pleasure. And for everyone else listening, you will hear another episode, hopefully in the future. So thanks so much.